A reading from Exodus. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock into the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight to see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me, I have also seen how the Egyptians oppress them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, If I come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this my title for all generations. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. Well, in the halcyon days of my youth, (laughs) I can scarcely remember it, I worked in a newborn nursery. It was a great job. But, not but, and, sometimes we would get a tiny, tiny, little low birth weight baby, like three or three and a half pounds, Um, a baby you could kind of hold in one hand, 
you know, if you held that baby in those days, we didn't hold those babies so much. We put them in little incubators. And they were so tiny that they, all they could do was take their nutrients drop by drop by drop. Really, they couldn't cry. They couldn't kick. They couldn't do anything except breathe, drink, digest, grow, excrete, rest, repeat. And it went so over and over and over. And every time we got those babies, the whole nursery, all of us, doctors, nurses, nurses, aides, parents, other babies, watched and breathed and watched and breathed. It was amazing. You could see those little hearts up and down, up and down, up and down. And what amazed me about those babies was how stubbornly they clung to life. Every atom in their bodies yearned to life. You could say that life was calling to them. And it was true, it was true for all of us, that on the other side of the isolate, death stood there waiting and waiting and whispering and casting doubt and being anxious. But what I saw, what I saw in those babies was not just resistance to death, but a total yearning toward life, a total taking in of life, and a total pouring down of life into them. And it's that image, the tiny little baby seeking and savoring life and growing, that I thought of when I listened to the images of Moses and the fig tree and the slain Galileans. Because here's Moses, contentedly shepherding his father-in-law's sheep and doing everything that a good son-in-law mostly does, when suddenly his life was profoundly interrupted. He sees the burning bush, but he sees that it's not burning the bush up. He hears the voice, and luckily there was an angel there. And I would like to take a small detour at this moment to point out that in the scripture, angels are present whenever God is doing something that only God can do, like burning a bush without burning it up, like bringing life out of death. Angels are there to help human beings absorb this godliness. And we will visit that again at Easter. So luckily, there was an angel there with Moses, or he might have run away from this really bizarre, talking, burning bush. And what he hears is so daunting. How could anyone have accepted that? He is to convince the supreme commander of most of the known world to free his slaves. And he is to take those slaves across the barren desert to a land that is a whole new order of things. It's so fantastic. Nobody could really believe it. And actually, it's probably not factually true. But it is the story of how God works through ordinary people to overthrow tyranny and bring freedom. It is how we explain our history. So Moses says with, with understandable skepticism that he doesn't have the credentials for this job. And God says, Moses' credentials don't have anything to do with it because Moses is not making the decisions here. And for me, this is a pretty key point because I think that this self-doubt, this fear of inadequacy, is often what keeps us from the call of the burning bush. Moses tries again to resign from the job and says that it will take a lot of effort, and he doesn't even have any sons. Again, God says, well, you're thinking like a human being. 
Of course I will give you sons and grandsons, for that matter. You answer my call, I'll show you the way. You answer my call, I'll give you sons. So the scriptures don't tell us how Moses thought about this because the scriptures don't focus on individual psychology and because this is the great story of our beginning. God's alternative to tyranny and death is liberation, freedom, and abundance. And God brings this about through ordinary and unlikely operators like an old shepherd who doesn't have any sons. In the words of that old spiritual hymn, God, the Lord said, go down, Moses, way down in Egypt land, tell all pharaohs to let my people go. This is the end of Black History Month. Today's readings are so in tune with the spirit of the African-American experience here. Tyranny and deliverance, slavery and freedom, Pharaoh and God. The history of the world is a repetition of this dialectic. Pharaoh is always anxious in making people believe that we're going to run out of money, power, and land. God is always holding the promise of freedom and availability. Today's stories, like the story of black Americans in many ways, is about what happens when ordinary people listen to and answer the call. Like, take Harriet Tubman, for instance. Harriet Tubman was a sickly 29-year-old slave when she ran away and started to work undercover to free her family and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of slaves by smuggling them out of the South. An incredibly dangerous job. Or Sojourner Truth, who at age 30, 30, come on, was the first black woman to win a case against a white man when she went to court to get back her five-year-old son who had been sold into slavery. When you read about these women, and indeed all the women and men who led black, black people out of slavery, it is clear, it's, at least it's clear to me, that the, that the difference between them and others was that they didn't believe that they deserved to be slaves. Harriet Tubman said, I reasoned this out in my mind. There was one of two things that I had a right to, liberty or death. So here's the other thing that keeps us from throwing off the Pharaoh in our lives, the belief that we don't deserve more than we have. But listen again to these readings. God has heard the cry of the people. God has observed their misery. We heard Ian read that. This is a God who wants people to be free and happy and whole. Deservingness has nothing to do with it. Harriet Tubman, Sojourner Truth, held on for dear life to the belief that they deserved freedom and equality. When we come upon Jesus today, he's trying to speak the truth about the extraordinary level of tension between Rome and the territories. Pilate has been on the rampage killing Galileans as they make sacrifices in the temple. So these are not the Galileans who are called Galileans because they're living in Galilee. These are Galileans who are armed assassins, who are a, a band of, of uh, radical revolutionaries whose goal is to overthrow Rome. Pilate and these people are at each other's throats all the time, and Pilate has trumped them by killing them in the temple as they make their sacrifice. 
Unless you repent, Jesus says, unless you open your mind to the call of God, to life, to equality, to freedom, to peace, you, too, will be ever locked in this destructive spiral. And then he tells us this ambiguous story about the fig tree. It's apparently a pretty good fig tree, but it doesn't bear fruit. The answer is more fertilizer and more time. You could say that the fig tree is like Moses, both fine specimens, but barren until they hear and respond to the call of God. The call of God beckons us all to our fullest capacity. Lent is the time for the pursuit of freedom, for the practice of speaking truth to power, even if the power and the truth are different parts of ourselves. Lent calls us to repent of our self-doubt and our sense of undeservingness. Because repentance is not especially about feeling terribly guilty and ashamed. There is a wild and daring aspect of repentance, an invitation to become curious about how we might be called to live our lives more courageously, more fully, with more conviction. There are burning bushes in all of our lives. This Lent, maybe we will stop and listen to what they have to tell us. This has been a sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorNV.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-N-V for Mill Valley, dot O-R-G. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to greet you in person very soon.